Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And not being able to wear my hair a certain way in ballet class. My body was wrong. My feet were wrong. I was bullied because of my hair, my shape, my accent, my voice. My, just my being seemed to not be right. Like being told I couldn't learn the parts of the leads because I never played them. Um, and I remember one particular moment, which still makes me ache, is I learned a solo in the Gregory Hines movie Tap. I'm not sure if you know this, but... Um, it's like a movie from like the late 80s and Gregory Hines is the lead and he's a tap dancer and it's, it's about this, this tap class and, and I loved tap and I loved the movie and um, this is not the type of tap that was being taught in England, especially British, white England. So I learned every single tap and beat of this solo and I went to submit it to um, the exam board to do my, my solo when I was doing exams and they rejected it saying it wasn't proper tap. You are listening to the Dope Black Moms podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Maxine Bonuba-Clark, all the way from Australia. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So great to have you join me today. Um, For anybody that doesn't know, Maxine is the author and illustrator of When We Say Black Lives Matter. This is an amazing beautifully illustrated book and it's all geared towards young children understanding well why black lives matter and and the black lives matter movement so what led you to write and illustrate this book and and why specifically now well the book was actually it was made in 2020 and um melbourne where i live like a lot of places in the world was in lockdown because of the coronavirus and it was after the murder of George Floyd and just seeing that 24-hour news cycle, you know, when you're kind of in lockdown, I feel we're all on social media, you know, we're on our phones, we're on television. And I guess watching my kids who are a little bit older now, you know, for picture books, they're 10 and 15, but kind of thinking, you know, there are a lot of kids around the world that are watching these protests and have been witnessing this kind of, you know, attack on black lives in various places around the world. How do we create a safe, comforting place to have a discussion about these things that's outside of that constant news cycle? And that's kind of where the idea was born for this book. Yeah, I mean, at that moment, it just felt relentless, didn't it? Across everywhere, everywhere you looked, it was just in your face constantly so I get I get the the need for it and just the the want to do something I mean I think I thought I think I feel everybody must have felt like that well conscious aware people just what can I do how can I help what can we do to to mark this moment and make sure we're never here again yeah it was a bit like that I mean you know in various places around the world these you know issues rear up but I've got family in, you know, in Germany, in the UK, in the United States, and this was kind of, it appeared to be this global reckoning. 
you know, here in Australia, we've got a lot of issues with Aboriginal deaths in custody. Um, And so, yeah, it was just kind of, okay, I have this platform, I I write books, how can I engage with this for younger children? And so glad that you did. It's just so important to keep the conversation going on as many different levels as possible so we can all talk about it and everyone can be aware and children can be in the room as well because it affects us all and, um, you know, something they need to be aware of. So I was um, reading up, obviously, on your book and everything about you and I was thinking about my own upbringing. So I was born in Spaldings, Jamaica, a tiny, tiny little place that doesn't doesn't even on my passport it's not even listed that's how small it is <laughs> I've had to list the, the, the parish yeah. um then I moved to Washington DC so really black 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 experiences black hospital black neighborhood black lawyers black school everything black um then I moved to Bristol which is in the oh, southwest wow. of England um predominantly white space and Imagine I was a young girl in the 90s with this weird sounding mixed up accent Mm. um, in this city, which played a major part in the transatlantic slave trade with memories and reminders constantly around the city. So I was bullied, safe to say I was I was badly bullied for for various things um, which made me stand out and um, brought attention to myself, I suppose. But you grew up in white, middle class, suburban Australia so how was this experience for you as a child and and were you aware of being different yeah it's funny I become more aware of what a strange existence that was you know for myself around a similar time in the 80s and 90s in in Australia you know my parents were born in in the West Indies my father in Jamaica and my mum in Guyana and where in Jamaica um, yeah, uh, in Kingston. Very nice. Kingston, yeah. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, but they both grew up in London, actually, from a very early age, from five or six. You know, they, their parents were part of the post-Windrush generation. Right. Um, and, and then they kind of met, married and, and came to Australia. My dad was offered a job in Australia. So it was kind of this strange situation. They came out here in 1976 and I was born here. So I was born into, you know, even though Australia is black land, Aboriginal land, um, you know, it's seen as an, an outpost of the United Kingdom, colonised by, by the British. Um, and so I grew up in this kind of white middle class suburbia. But I suppose unlike you, I had nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even though obviously aesthetically I knew our family looked different to all of the families around us, um, it really wasn't uh, until starting school or starting childcare, um, you know, where you're kind of left alone without your parents, with other predominantly white kids, that you start to realise, okay, this is something that other people actually have an issue with, that it's perhaps a negative, seen as a negative thing. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was very hard. Um, the area that we grew up in was kind of the rural fringe so it was kind of a small village in outer suburbia um, in the, you know, I was born in 1979, so kind of in the 80s predominantly when I was in primary school. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was only probably as an adult when people, I would meet people and I'd say, oh, my goodness, what was it like for you growing <laughs> up in that area? <laughs> so I looked back and thought, actually, 
but you know, I have actually written a memoir about growing up in that area. It's called The yeah. Hate Race. There we go. The yeah. Title says it all. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Um, and and so I spoke. So you were bullied. I mean, were you aware of being bullied, or is it something that was? I don't know. Maybe you didn't acknowledge as a coping mechanism, or. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was aware of it um, and it was something that was constant. But I think as well when that's your only experience is of being on the outer and being different, it kind of in a really terrible way is almost normalised. Mm. Um, so I didn't have anything to compare it with and it was just kind of, well, this is the way it is, you know, this is the way I look, this is the way my family is and some people have an issue with it. Um, Australia also, you know, for for many years um, lived under something called the White Australia Policy. Sounds um, amazing already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which existed kind of, you know, from from the forties till just a couple of years before my parents migrated, really, or the, the late sixties, um, where consciously. Um, the country blocked immigration from people of colour. You know, the idea was that Australia, despite it being an Aboriginal country, was to be an outpost for white British people. And this was a a conscious immigration policy. And Mm. then kind of my parents landed there, you know, three years after this, (laughs) three to six years after this policy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was kind of, you know, the entire country had been conditioned to believe we don't want these people here and we deliberately decided. And then all of a sudden it's okay, they can come here. And so it was in a way a combustible situation. Yeah, that's a big, Um, big shift. So with all of this going in the background for you growing up, were you aware, or now looking back at it as an adult, are you aware of your parents doing anything in particular to curate your experience? Like, can you remember, I don't know, can you see any moments where they may have protected you from situations that you weren't aware of now looking back? Yeah, I think many just... You know, even when I think of, you know, when I was writing my memoir, I I went back through, you know, the first day of of childcare and, you know, this girl coming up to me and kind of at the front gate of this childcare where we're all waiting to be let in and just saying, you're brown and just kind Mm -hmm. of staring and staring. And I remember my mum kind of ushering me away you know that thing the parents yeah. do where they kind of stand between you and another person mm-hmm. Mama <laughs> and so, yeah yeah and many moments like that or, or you'd be in a shop or something and there'd be an incident and you just all of a sudden you'd be leaving the shop but you wouldn't quite know why yeah um, and I, so, I remember I remember those moments I remember mm. those moments I remember being in a um in a changing room and some girls just staring at me going wow, I've never seen brown nipples before. I just, like, of mm. course, it makes sense to be brown, but I never th- I just went into this whole monologue about, isn't it interesting you have brown nipples? And I was just like, well, yeah, yeah. Just, that's my body. This is what yeah. it looks yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is those things, and you kind of look back on them that were very formative, even though at the time, you know, mm. you might not, might not have, you know, the incident finishes and you kind of don't think about it. They're no, just... but you know what? I, I noticed the other day I was in a predominantly white space in a swimming pool and I was rushing to get changed 
for that reason. I was like, why am I rushing? Mm. I'm a grown woman. I'm fine. My body standing here, yeah. naked, you know, getting dry. But I realized I was washing, rushing because I was standing by the door. And then that memory came back. And I was like, wow, I must have been so young when that happened. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I had this need to rush. And um, it just made me think about how powerful, you know, these, these early experiences can be. Absolutely. You're a mum of two so have your children ever come home with explaining incidences of bullying of racism of feeling othered in any way and anything that you've said to them that has helped them through those moments I mean it's interesting because not overtly I mean more Mm -hmm. things more things like you know, we were reading this story in class and something, I didn't agree with something that was said in this story or the way that the accent was written or, so it's kind of been more about, I suppose, indirect racism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And I, I mean, I live, you know, I consciously live in an area where there's a lot of different nationalities. Um, There's quite a high African-Australian population in the west of Melbourne where I live. And, you know, that was something that I was really conscious of, is that, you know, I grew up in a a really, what what was, you know, where my parents moved was kind of just just close to where my dad happened to get a job um, and, and not knowing much of the country. And there really wasn't much black African diaspora migration to Australia at the time they were they moved here Um, but I think that's also potentially why the experience today for my kids is slightly different as well is that you know it's it's a different classroom the classroom looks different yeah and thank the lord it does yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) so in this book you aim to share with children the importance of self-expression and the power of standing out. What do you think, I mean, well, why do you think these uh, themes are so important for a child's development? You know, I think that, you know, when you're a child, it's really different to articulate, you know, these experiences that we've been talking about, you know, your experience in the change room or my experience at the front gate. Often there are no words to actually create a space to discuss those things um you know you don't necessarily as a small child have the language of saying I saw something and I I really thought it was unfair or someone treated me in this particular way and it felt really funny um it's only kind of when you're older that you realize why you felt so bad at that particular time and so I think for me you know picture books are this wonderful you know, it's that space where you're sitting down with your parents. It might be the end of the day or just before nap time. And it's this really quiet, contemplative time that mm. I think can create the space to have some of those conversations. Totally. totally. And it can be a moment to reflect. It can be a moment, just an open space to talk where you're right. You might not have space at any other point in the day. And also the adult is an also a, a, a clear space. You're not thinking about work or dinner exactly. or anything else, just to sit down and, and focus. Yeah. So, like I said, amazing that you cover these themes. Um, do you have any practical tips or things that we can do as mothers to reinforce, to reinforce these things at home? Because it's brilliant thinking about it and talking about it, but, and it's great intellectualizing it, but practically, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think of it as kind of, so, someone described a lot of my books recently, actually, as mirrors and windows, you know, so that idea that That's kids, nice. you know, kids needs to see themselves reflected back at them, yeah. you know, that if they're interested in art, then you can show them, you know, black artists and artists with disabilities and, you know, artists from lots of different backgrounds, um, or if they're interested in sport, you know, there are always trailblazers in every area that you can show them, whether it's a black child or not, you know, every child to see. Actually, there are a lot of people in the world that are good at this particular thing or trailblazers in this particular thing. Um, and then the windows, so to show kids other lives and other worlds. And I think, you know, the beautiful thing about this world that we're living in today is that there is so much access to other lives, you know, whether it's through yeah. documentaries or books or the internet or, you know, just other experiences. And Podcasts, I think music, everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think of how different my life would have been as a kid um you know for all the dangers of the internet and social media yeah. if i could have hopped on on and said oh wow there's this group of other kids of afro-caribbean descent that also live somewhere in australia you know maybe absolutely. i can connect with them that would have been i imagine life-changing absolutely because mm -hmm. i imagine there were a handful of you i can count the people in my school who are black and mixed race i can i can count that yeah. so I can imagine just being on the internet, being able to look for anybody, even just, so I danced when I was younger, I sang when I was younger, just to search for other people doing what you're doing and can see that they are succeeding rather exactly. than you being the only black girl. I remember being a black girl in dance class and not being able, being allowed to do the solos or things I wanted to do or wear my hair in camera because it wasn't. Uh, proper wasn't correct but yeah. being able to see anybody else with your shape doing what you want to do of course that would be massively affirming wouldn't it mm, yeah absolutely and that's brilliant thing about in the home so reinforcing reinforcing what we can do we can check ourselves we can check our bookshelves we can check the music we can check the content that our children are surrounded by and we can curate this whether it's the bookshelves, art, um, the programs, music that they're listening to. But is there anything that we could ask for of our educational systems and spaces? Anything that we can do to continue what we're trying to nurture at home yeah. in school? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that, yeah, that idea of looking at the curriculum, you know, I know in, in Australia, the way that history is taught has changed a lot in some ways from the way that we were taught. You know, when I was at school, it was kind of um, Captain Cook came from England and discovered Australia. You know, <laughs> you, you, you would just believe there was nobody here, you know, but now, you know, my kids learn about, you know, Indigenous history and the stolen generation, which is, you know, the children that were taken away from their parents, Aboriginal children. And, yeah, so I guess, you know, equipping kids to ask those questions, um, you know, mm -hmm. when kids come home with a history project to say, oh, okay, well, maybe we could actually take a, this on a little tangent and explore this and, and maybe you could ask your teacher about this or even linking in with the teacher and saying, look, 
you know, I'd love to explore the Windrush generation or, you know, or, or part of our family history. And I think, you know, not all teachers, obviously, but many teachers on schools are becoming more and more receptive to that type of dialogue. That's um, it. And it's just to keep on asking and, and not be scared to ask and yeah, speak with other parents and see if, you know, you can all get together and ask. Anybody who's a school governor yeah. can, can pitch in. But yeah, you're right, isn't it? It's just to, to ask because I think before it's felt a bit elitist, hasn't it? It's felt a little bit removed, like you have no choice or say or you don't have any, um, you won't have any movement to the conversation. But mm. Mm. I think now it's opening up a little bit yeah. and we do have the power to make a change. So, yeah. and absolutely. I think, and I think in the past things have been seen, you know, as far as race is concerned is, well, that's black history. And, <laughs> and it kind of, no, it's just history. It is just history. <laughs> you know, it's just history. Gosh. You know, yes, every yeah. child could learn this stuff. You know, this, this yeah. idea that, you know, everybody can learn, you know, Western history, but, mm. you know, there's a particular type of, you know, history that has to do with colonisation that, you know, the black kids can learn about that. Well, everyone mm. was there. Everyone was a part of that. Um, is our history. Yeah. yeah. And I think also, you know, trying to, you know, I, I kind of recognise as well that we all have our blinkered spots, you know. Yes. Sometimes I will spots, kind yes. of, yeah. So sometimes I'll kind of say, okay, well, you know, you're, you're looking at Olympians. Why don't we look at some Paralympians, you know, or, yeah. you know, looking at those areas. I guess it's about recognising what you don't know. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah advocate and being okay with that yeah exactly I I I think that's great and especially for kids you know it's our job isn't it to try and broaden the horizon as much as possible and your book does a great job about talking and really delving into the background of the Black Lives Matter movement and especially just bringing that language and the illustrations for young children but what I wondered was, when you were writing and illustrating the book, was there any worries or trepidation about how to strike the balance of bringing awareness, but not wanting to foster negativity, fear, not wanting to uh, compound in any limitations? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing, you know, writing for kids, there's always that consciousness that you know, young minds are like sponges, which is a beautiful yeah. thing, but, you know, also you don't want them to soak up, in inverted commas, the wrong thing. Totally, <laughs> um, and they take it as the truth. Yeah. What you say, like, is crystal to them. Exactly. And then they go exactly. and build their world around it. Yeah. And so this, I mean, this book started out really as, an in, uh, uh, as a poem about the Black Lives Matter movement and then became, you know, an illustrated poem in the form of a, of a picture book. And so because I knew that I was going to be doing the illustrations for this book myself, which I haven't always done, my first two picture books were illustrated by other people, um, what I tried to do was, I suppose, create enough space in the poem that things that I wanted to add that because, you know, a picture book is kind of, I suppose, for ages, say, five to nine, um, a picture book of this kind. And um, 
thinking, I thought a lot about, okay, well, what a five-year-old knows about the Black Lives Matter movement or needs to know is not necessarily the same as what a nine or 10-year-old will know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for example, you know, some of the illustrations give a lot more information than the text gives. Um, so there's a page that kind of says, we deserve to be treated with basic respect and, that, and history's done us wrong. And on the page that says history's done us wrong, there's a, a father and a child and they're kind of in, it could be an art gallery or a church and there's these what looks like stained glass windows behind them. And the windows are these kind of beautiful rainbow tones. Um, but what you can see, like the, the pictures that appear in these kind of fractured windows is, is a, a person in chains. Um, and, you know, you, a child, if you're reading that with a five-year-old, you might choose not to actually draw their attention to that picture. Um, the other, the image in the other stained glass window is kind of a woman with an afro in kind of 60s, a 60s kind of right. flowing, flowing gown. Um, and so this idea that with an older child you could say, well, what do these words, history's done us wrong, mean? And what might that you know, what might that image refer to? You know, what do you know about the transatlantic slave trade or, or what do you know about, you know, um, police arresting black people? And, and you know, that I guess what I tried to do was put little clues in there that would allow parents to have the kind of conversation they want to have. So if you just kind of do a straight reading and don't draw particular attention to any specific image, it really is just a you know, a poem about black joy and black love and there is a bit of kind of sorrow in there and and a bit of talk about injustice. But, you know, the older that child is or the more equipped they are to actually enter the discussion, the more involved the conversation parents can have. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I think that's brilliant. That's brilliant because you can pick out, like you said, the moments of the Afro and talk about beautiful hair and mm. and how amazing this is. And obviously you can also talk about the chains and the father and the son or father and child moment as well. It's really mm. good. I think for anybody that's really um, nervous about talking about these subjects, books are definitely the way to go. But so many people come to me and, and ask how to talk to children about race how to talk to children about the Black Lives Matter movement and, um, you know, books, poems, pictures. It does it all for you. You know, a good book like yours does it for you. And you haven't got to worry. You just need to have the conversation and keep on having the conversation. It's not just one conversation. It's going to be many conversations that will develop over time. And, you know, you come back to it and use real life moment. But I think the, the book does a beautiful job of, 
gifting that to a parent, a parent, you know, who's, who's willing to talk about it, which, which is obviously what we're all, what we're all asking for. And again, you, you cover topics of activism, being anti-racist, using your voice and your power for good, which, which is again, brilliant to think about for children and brilliant to um, talk about. But some of these topics um, also feel quite progressive for uh, maybe some parents to talk about mm. um, and definitely progressive for children, which, which is good, which is always a good thing. But I was wondering, what does anti-racism mean to you? It kind of feels... It's a, it's a great word, but sometimes it feels like it's used a little bit as a hashtag, a little mm, bit as a kind of mm. trending, hot, hot word that we just chuck in there to make us look good or make us look like we know what we're all talking about. But mm. what does that word mean for you and how might this show up for children? Oh, wow. That's a, <laughs> a difficult question. <laughs> Not a question here at nine o'clock, is it? <laughs> Look, I mean, for me, I think, you know, the key thing is that anti-racism involves engagement and action. You know, to Brilliant. me, to yeah. me, it's not just the act of not doing anything racist. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, it's a great word. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that thing of, well, you have to acknowledge that racism is an issue and ask the question, well, what am I doing about it and what am I going to do about it? You know, and if that thing that you do is to to bring up kids in an anti-racist way, you know, if, if you are, you know, um, not not a black parent or, you know, if you, if you don't come from a diverse background to actually engage with, you know, with other communities and other worlds and other lives and, and you know, parent in an anti-racist way then then that's a contribution but the question has to be asked well if if you are anti-racist and you're advocating for anti-racism what are you doing (laughs) so i think that's it really isn't it and yeah and i think it's one of those questions you know we can all slip we all have blind spots Mm. like you mentioned earlier dope black moms your books are such an amazing job of fostering activism talking about being an anti-racist and um, using your voice and your power for good. But it feels like anti-racist, the term, feels like it needs to be chucked around quite flippantly, like almost used as maybe a hashtag or a buzzword. Um, But what does that really mean to you being anti-racist and how might this show up for children? (laughs) That's the million dollar question. You know, I think to me, anti-racism is about engagement and action. So, you know, that it's, it's, yeah, it's not just enough to kind of say, I'm not actually being racist or doing anything I consider racist. It's engaging with what racism is, acknowledging that it it exists and working out what you're going to do about it. And I suppose in a parenting or, or childhood context, that can be, you know, it can be in the way that you parent, the way that you talk to your kids about the world, you know, the kind of 
uh, people that you introduce them to, the art, the you know, whether it's the arts or whether it's, you know, everything that you do as a parent, you know, the, the framework of, of your family. Just being I conscious suppose. and intentional about it. Exactly. I suppose exactly. which really involves us checking our own selves first. You know, yeah. we all have to do those little life Definitely. audits, check our blind spots, which is very hard to do, obviously, because yeah. it is a blind spot, and just see if there's anything that creeps in that we might not be aware of. Obviously, there are conscious and subconscious messages that we're giving to our children, but how we react to conflict, yeah. how we react to negotiation, how we react to things that we see on the TV, they pick up on everything mm. again on a conscious and subconscious level so they can feel literally feel the energy can't they so exactly it is being and like you said sponges it's just being super aware and curating the space to foster this space to be anti-racist yeah absolutely and i think also you know acknowledging that we won't always get it right you know, yes, that, that, you know, as parents, you know, my, my kids are, are older now at 10 and 15 and, you know, acknowledging that it might be them teaching me. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? absolutely. No, but, but honestly, like you said, for, from our experiences of growing up, um, things will massively have changed for them. They can, they mm -hmm. will be able to see references on the screen. I, I remember not being able to see another mixed race female I remember seeing yeah. um, beautiful lady, Custable daughter, um, Huxtable daughter in Cosby Show. That was the that oh. was the, the that was the youngest. Yeah. That was the first vision I remember of seeing someone that looks like me, so a mixed race woman. Yes. Um, yes. And that was the first time I saw it. So, you know, our, our children now in this generation, Marvel's coming up with a scarf wearing superhero, someone, mm -hmm. you know every type of different abilities, differently abled, um, LGBTQ superheroes coming through, and mm. it will be absolutely native for them. It will be normal for them. My yeah. son tells me off for the recycling. So like recycling yeah. is not like native <laughs> to us. I recycle, but he's like, this one goes in here, this one goes in here, this one goes in here. Like it's, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, yes. You can't read. This is obvious. It goes in these yeah. boxes. Why don't you know this? And he's five. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great it's a great moment, and I think what we mm. have to do now is not do that classic of kind of being fearful of things that they are bringing to us because we exactly. won't know them yeah. as our parents or you know generations historically previously might have done. You know, oh, well, this sounds like noise. It's not music. Or well, what? This is not a proper yeah. job. You know, well, yeah, it's video design. Whatever it is, you know, there's going to be new things yeah. that that you know aren't 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 familiar to us, but still obviously relevant for them. So I, yeah. I hear what you're saying, just kind of checking yourself, making sure you're providing what you say you're providing. And also with that, it takes a lot of courage actually just to sit there and, you know, be brutally honest with yourself and your insecurities yeah. and your fears and your bias, because we obviously all have bias at some level. Exactly. Um, it's just being, like you said, the key word, acknowledging it. Which again, mm. I say this intellectually, hard to do emotionally. Yeah, practically yeah. do that. Very, very difficult. Yeah, and I and I mean, I often, you know, with some of my other books are on the high school syllabus in in the state where I live. So I often do kind of high school visits, and and I often get those questions from teachers as well of, 
we really want, you know, I really would like to teach your book, but, you know, I'm I'm an Anglo-Australian teacher and I I just don't think I'm going to get it right. And, you know, and kind of saying, well, you know, if you can teach Shakespeare... Absolutely. <laughs> you know, or you can teach you, you know, you, you, you can follow a book about a child wizard at Hogwarts. <laughs> Absolutely, because you're not a wizard, then, are you? Exactly. Absolutely. It's kind of, I, that, you know. That's my take on it as well. Mm. I'm like, you're happy to embrace Rainbow Week and you're happy yeah. to take on different topics outside of your experience and your lived experience and your upbringing. You can read this book. And obviously the material that reaches the educational systems now we hope is vetted great material this is not um you know it's not like back in the day so really you've got all your 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 guidance and your teaching structure haven't you so it's really just being courageous and and it is those moments those are the moments we're asking for of if if you say you're an ally if you say you're here for the for the call if you're standing up and going to be on the court it's those moments take the challenge accept the mission and get on with it exactly I think, um, it's brilliant that they're asking you but it'd be even better um when people just adopt it just and, yeah and and, and just saying it. saying you know if you you know if a, I think the the worry is well what if what if a student asks me something or a child asks me something I can't I can't give them an answer because you know I don't yes. know enough of it and you know there's no harm in saying actually I actually don't know let's look that up you know, let's, let's learn about this together. It's um, more harmful to guess or blag or, exactly. you know, say something. It's, it, it, it's great. And again, it shows the children, the young minds, the teenagers, whoever you're teaching, that um, it's okay to not know. You know, mm-hmm. as an adult, I think as a young person, it is brutally um, constrictive to not know, isn't it? Yeah. The fear yes. of not knowing something is very, the stakes are so high. Yeah. But as I'm getting older, I feel much more comfortable to say, I don't know, or I've changed my mind, or exactly. actually doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. And when you're younger, it, it feels so overwhelming, maybe embarrassing, like someone's going to laugh at you because you mm. don't know, or all of that yeah. sort of stuff. But, you know, as a teacher, absolutely, as a figure that we're looking up to, again, those are the teachable moments where you're standing there going, actually, I don't know, but I'll find out. And as yeah. long as they actually follow that up, then exactly. that's, a fine, that's a fine answer, isn't it? Yeah. So, again... So just going back to the book and the themes, talking about using your voice, connecting to your voice and using your voice for good. Again, any practical, tangible guidance, um, tips for helping children to connect to their voice, to use their voice? I mean, this is obviously, whatever you're going to say, it's going to be gorgeous advice for us all, but um, anything, yeah, anything that you did or that you kind of consciously fostered for your own children or now do as an adult? Yeah, I suppose tapping into what, meeting kids where they are, you know, like if they're good at dance, then let them find a way to express themselves through that. If they're good at sport, then, you know, find a way to bring whatever you're teaching them into that. Um, Exactly. And And, and there could be options of like activisms within sport, like Marcus Rashford, since they're a brilliant Absolutely. Of, um, brilliant opportunities. Of, he's a great footballer, but he's also doing this outside of football. Yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah, you know, there are so many moments of, you know, uh, you know, so, so many teachable moments across every discipline. You know, things like, you know, when we're talking about sport, you know, the, the Boston Marathon, for example, 
you know, we, a woman first entered that because a woman just lined up with the men, entered under <laughs> a, entered up to, under a man's name, and just Can lined up, and yeah. and that was the first time, you know. So you know, yeah. and, and there would be you know examples like that in science and in mathematics and in you know in every field. So yeah, I so what you're saying is just being proactive. Like we have to make the effort as parents and as role models. Um, to consciously find these examples, lead, obviously lead with what the child is interested in, mm. football, running, swimming, mm. but then find examples of that and curate that experience in our home. Because we can't, um, we can't foresee what's gonna happen as soon as you step out the door. We can yes. create the environment in our homes and in our circles and our families. Yeah, to, to talk about things and, and dissect mm. them and, and, you know, and also I suppose that issue of um, utilising who's around you, you know, that, you know, and, and, you know, it's funny talking about your own flaws, but, but you know, this idea of I often think, oh, I've never asked my parents what it was like to, mm. you know, grow up in this particular area or, you know, what were their experiences like or, you know, all the questions that, that I should ask my grandparents. Yeah. Yes, grandparents, absolutely. We need yeah. to get all of that knowledge before it's too late. Yeah. And so, you know, enlisting the help, you know, saying, you know, one, maybe go and talk to granddad about what his life was like or your uncle or, you know. <laughs> you know, let the village raise the child. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, because all of these points and experiences are valid and some things that we actually can't talk to. We weren't there. It wasn't, wasn't our experience. I think that's, that's great, great advice. Can you share any feedback from readers that has really stayed with you? Anything that's really moved you that people have reached out to um yeah, there's, 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 you know, there's quite a few moments. One recently to do with when we say Black Lives Matter is just, you know, a child who kind of, when you have question time at the end of a reading of a picture book and the child just put up his hand and said, that family looks like mine. And that was it. Mm. You know, he didn't have a question. Mm. And, and yeah. you know, that moment of kind of just going, you know, is this the first time? that that child has, has actually looked at a book that happens to have yeah. a family that looks like his. Um, the first book that I wrote, uh, the first children's book that I wrote, The Patchwork Bike, which wasn't illustrated by me, um, the, you know, the child has cornrows, the main protagonist. Mm. And, you know, um, someone kind of tagged me on Twitter and said that her daughter kept stroking the the, the thing and and saying you know that it was hair like her hair and so God. you know just this kind of act of of recognition and how powerful it is um, it's so and, powerful and you know yeah. there are so many good black children's authors but still not enough that you know that every black child you know it kind of feel I kind of feel <laughs> sad that a child can get to five to have that experience it, it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and it could be life-changing Mm -hmm. And there's there's not enough, not enough for that child to feel the need to tell you that there's not enough. It exactly. should be normal. It exactly. should be absolutely, it shouldn't even be a thing. That's how normal yeah. it should be. So, um, yeah, there's obviously still work to do and amazing that you're in this space and pushing with everything you have. And great to obviously keep having these conversations to highlight it. But 
but thanks for sharing that those moments you know i live for those moments it, it yeah. makes me happy especially when you see it on a child because i know those moments for a child how i can really shape and frame their reference of how they walk through the world yeah and massively those single moments can make a difference yes. um for everything so it's just it's just yeah it's just it's magical those times um lastly when i was looking at your work and kind of doing research i wanted to share that i remember feeling a lot of these things you're talking about i remember feeling different i mean I remember feeling othered being told i couldn't do things um being told i couldn't do the things that made me excited and as an adult because of this i think i found it really hard to connect to my voice all the things that you're you're championing, I found it really difficult. So I'm always looking for ways to reconnect, to stay connected and also um, practical ways to help children connect to their voice. And I was thinking, I remember being young um, and not being able to wear my hair a certain way in ballet class. My body was wrong, my feet were wrong. I was bullied because of my hair, my shape, my accent, my voice, my, just my being seemed to not be right. Um, I remember turning, like being told I couldn't learn the parts of the leads because I never played them. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember one particular moment, which still makes me ache, is I learned a solo in the Gregory Hines movie, Tap. I'm not sure if you know this, yeah. but um, it's like a movie from like the late 80s and Gregory Hines is the lead and he's a tap dancer and it's, it's about this, this tap class. And in the States, there's like different type of tap and I loved tap and I loved the movie. And um, this is not the type of tap that was being taught in England, especially British white England. So I learned every single tap and beat of this solo. And I went to submit it to um, the exam board to do my, my solo when I was doing exams and they rejected it saying it wasn't oh. proper tap. And those are the moments where if you could see somebody on screen or in a book, yeah looking like you, doing a tap dance, or, you know, just, you know, being one of however many girls tap dancing. Do you remember just feeling like, but I want to do this. This makes me mm. happy. I'm good yeah. at doing this. And then, you know, thinking of how that bleeds into your adult life of just constantly um, filtering yourself, you yes. know, not yeah. really being yourself because all these uh these restrictions get put upon you. So just wanted to ask for any mums that are listening now and that are worried about their child or kind of maybe have seen a light dim in them or feel that their child is struggling, for anybody listening who's struggling with self-expression, struggling with their voice, struggling to connect, struggling to stand out as themselves wholeheartedly, oh. what would you like to say to them? Anything, any last gems that you can drop? I mean, it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult it to find a way to believe, you know, when everyone mm. else is telling you that it can't come true. Um, you know, that's very much the story of me initially getting, you know, my first major book published is constantly being told, this is Australia. You're writing about African diaspora characters. Who is going to read this book? And yeah. I think, you know, the answer is that you have to find a way to just hold the joy in what you do mm. and keep enjoying that thing that that's you know the only way that will get you through in the face of doubters or in the face of you know obstructions or people closing the door on you is you know if you love what you're doing 
that is enough. You know, you need to, to just keep doing it and keep pushing um, for the love of that thing. And I think, you know, as I said earlier, finding or trying to find those trailblazers, you know, is there anyone yes. who's done this before? Um, also solidarity. You know, there are a lot of writers of colour in Australia that are kind of, I guess, my contemporaries who are all trying to do the same thing at the same time. So, you know, if you're a parent and you have a kid, you know, who's, who's experiencing this, you know, can you get, get, you know, get a whole heap of black kids together in a dance class or in a gymnastics class so that there is that solidarity there? I very much have that memory of, you know, me doing gymnastics as an eight-year-old and constantly being told, tuck your bottom in. Absolutely. <laughs> same, same for me in yeah. gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, this is my bum. It doesn't exactly. move. This is it. Exactly. This is all it does. And just kind of desperately trying to suck it in and you know, I'm thinking, you know, my sister was, in, it was, yeah, my sister was kind of in the next class up, so she wasn't in my class, but thinking, if there'd been just three or four kids there, you know, sometimes there is solidarity in creating those spaces, having, you know, strength in numbers almost. Um, yeah, so I guess joy, solidarity and trying to find fellow travellers along the journey. That's it. I mean, that's great advice for parents, children, but for all of us constantly, you know, it's something that we want to constantly tap into just to keep us, on, on the path and keep us connected and keep us fighting the good fight. Mm. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for writing this book. Um, I believe this should be in every classroom and it just really helps to keep the conversation going, which we need to keep going. So thank you. Dope Black Moms. If you'd like to join the Dope Black Moms private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Moms on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.